welcome to this week's reading of the business record for the week of Friday, April 23rd on Iris. I'm your reader, Erin. Our first article, the book, The Insider Notebook, Bits and Bites of the Finer Side of Iowa Business, Amtrak Expansion Seen as Another Sign That Passenger Rail Will Reach DM Eventually by Michael Crumb, Extending Passenger Railroad Service from Chicago to Des Moines and then to Omaha would provide another transportation tool that could be used to attract and retain top talent for the region, said Jay Byers, CEO of the Greater Des Moines Partnership. But extending passenger rail across Iowa is is a long-term goal, and the immediate focus should remain on other transportation priorities, such as the new terminal project at the Des Moines International Airport and improving the state's roads and bridges, Byers said. Expanding passenger rail service across Iowa through Des Moines has been the topic of the conversation for more than a decade after the Biden administration released its $2 trillion infrastructure plan. Amtrak released its plan to add 30 more routes and more trips on 20 existing routes by 2035, and interest in the proposition of a border-to-border rail service through central Iowa is once again gaining steam. Iowa officials celebrated the fact that Amtrak's plans included an extension of its service from the Quad Cities to Iowa City. That, buyers said, is a good first step in somebody someday seeing the route between the Mississippi and Missouri rivers through Des Moines become a reality. Quote, it's a long-term effort, but to continue to make it move forward, you have to kind of go peace piece by piece in keeping the concept and the idea alive and continue to advance that plan that gets it closer to Des Moines, end quote, Byers said. Quote, there's still a lot of pieces that need to fall in place, but this is showing momentum in the right direction with the goal and hopeful result that we would eventually get passenger rail back here in Greater Des Moines going east and west, end quote. Amtrak currently provides rail service through Iowa on the Southwest Chief, which cuts across the southeast corner of the state through Fort Madison and on the California Zypher, which travels from Burlington to Omaha across southern Iowa and stops in Mount Pleasant, Ottawa, Osceola, and Creston. According to Amtrak, 51,499 people boarded or departed a train in Iowa in 2019, down from just over 58,000 the year before. A Federal Railroad Administration study done in 2013 shows that about 1.3 million passengers would board the train on a route from Chicago to Omaha, going through Quad Cities, Iowa City, and Des Moines, buyers said. He said having passenger rail service through Des Moines would be another tool the community could use to draw more people to live and work in the region. Quote, having another option is a way to increase connectivity to our region and the rest of the country, end quote, Byers said. Quote, are there a lot of things important to talent, attraction, and retention? The answer is yes, but this would be another tool, another transportation option that would build on those efforts, end quote. Todd Ashby, executive director and CEO of the Des Moines Area Metropolitan Plain organizations said extending passenger rail across central Iowa is important to job creation opportunities in the region and to keep it connected to the rest of the Midwest. 
quote, getting there is still of importance to this region, and we look forward to working with our partners at the state and national levels to hopefully achieve it someday, end quote, he said in a statement provided to the business record. Amanda Martin, freight and passenger policy coordinator with the Iowa Department of Transportation, said some initial studies and planning was done when federal railroad money was made available during the Obama administration in 2010. Iowa and Illinois were jointly awarded $230 million to begin looking at the Chicago-Iowa City route in two phases. The first phase was Chicago to Moline, Illinois. The second phase was from Moline to Iowa City. A 2013 study estimated about 300,000 people would ride the train in the Chicago to Iowa City corridor each year. No new data is available for public release, Martin said. When completed, Amtrak would use Iowa Interstate Railroad lines from Iowa City to the Quad Cities. A new station would be built in Iowa City with two round trips daily with a top speed of 79 miles per hour. The Iowa interstate tracks would also have to be upgraded to meet federal requirements for passenger traffic, Martin said. There would also have to be upgrades to communications systems to allow dispatchers to communicate with passenger trains and for passenger trains to communicate with each other and with cargo trains. That would include the installation of positive train control equipment to prevent trains from colliding, a recent requirement that was not included in the initial cost estimate of $225 million established in 2013. Quote, it's not as simple as just taking the passenger train and just putting it on the host railroad and just running it twice a day. It's much more complicated than that, end quote, Martin said. A lot will depend on details that come from the Biden administration's $2 trillion infrastructure plan, which includes $85 billion for public transit, such as commuter rail, buses, and stations, and $80 billion to expand the nation's passenger and freight rail system. The state would likely have to come up with a 20% match for any federal funds it would receive to extend passenger rail service. That, Martin said, would require legislative approval. Quote, if a funding opportunity became available, we would also need legislative support to get the match. If it's required and there would likely be an ongoing operating subsidy that would be required for operation of the train, end quote, she said. She said that is typically the state's responsibility, which would be different from here, how the Southwest Chief and California Zypher operate, which operate at Burlington North Railroad tracks and rely solely on Amtrak funding. Quote, we do not provide any state support to that effort, so the one from Chicago through Moline to Iowa City has always been envisioned that that would be what we call a state-supported service, so the state would be funding the annual operating subsidy associated with that, and quote Martin said. That is similar to arrangements in Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin, she said. Byers said there wasn't any disappointment that Amtrak's expansion plans didn't include Des Moines, which is still included on many long-term plans. Quote, I wasn't surprised to see it only going to Iowa City because we've known all along that you first have to complete the route to the Quad Cities and then the next step, end quote, he said. Quote, I don't think anybody should be too surprised at this map the way they did it with this particular proposal, end quote. While Des Moines and Iowa continue to keep passenger rail service on track, there is still a lot of shorter-term transportation needs that need to be remain a priority, Byers said. Quote, we have a really great opportunity to continue to move forward and complete our goal and objective of a new airport terminal at the Des Moines International Airport, end quote, he said. 
quote, the same thing with the big time investments we need to continue to make in our roads, in our bridges, and other infrastructure. It's not one or the other, but there is that timing issue in terms of these projects that are right in front of us that we really need to make sure we can we focus on and get completed, end quote. Our next article, Demand for Newly Built Houses, Very Strong Des Moines Area Home Builder Says by Kathy A. Bolton. The National Association of Home Builders this month published an updated edition of its publication that includes a survey of home buyers' preferences. Buyers' first preference, 60% 60 of those surveyed said they preferred to buy a newly built house up 6% points from 2018 when 54% said they wanted new houses. Quote, that demand for a new house, some place that no one has ever lived in before, is very strong right now, end quote, said Rachel Flint, vice president of Hubble Homes. Quote, with new construction, you know what your costs are when you sign your purchase agreement. Agreements for existing houses have escalator clauses in them now, and your costs could change, end quote. In the first three months of 2021, 1,023 residential building permits were issued in 13 Des Moines area communities and Polk County. A review of city records show the value of the permits totaled $266.2 million. In March alone, 513 residential permits were issued with a value of $141.1 million. Quote, this has been one of our busiest first quarters on record, end quote. Brad Dietz, Waukee's Development Services Director, told the business record. The city issued 197 single-family permits in the first three months of the year, the most it has issued in a first quarter in at least 10 years, records show. Dietz attributes the robust wave of new construction to historically low interest rates for home mortgages and the city's investment in expanding its sanitary sewer system, which has opened up new areas for development. In addition, he said people are excited about the construction of Waukee's new schools, including at Northwest High School, which is scheduled to open in the fall. The new high school is adjacent to Triumph Park Youth Sports Complex, which the city is developing. Kaylin Ludwig, president of the Home Builders Association of Greater Des Moines, said the lack of inventory of existing houses for sale is at a record low, prompting many home buyers to turn to new construction. She said increased demand for newly built houses and delays in obtaining some building materials have extended the time it takes to complete construction on a new home. Quote, houses that once took four to six months now are taking eight to ten months to get done, end quote, said Ludwig, who also is a new construction specialist for People's Company and a director of sales and marketing and a partner at Groundbreaker Homes based in Clive. Quote, I struggle to tell somebody when their house is going to be completed. Building times are just taking longer, end quote. Home buyers also need to be prepared to act quickly on purchasing a newly built home, Flint said. A quote for a new home changes almost weekly depending on the cost of materials, she said. Quote, builders are putting together quotes that don't last long at all, end quote, Flint said. Quote, your price could go up $5,000 to $10,000 in a matter of weeks, primarily because of the price of lumber, end quote. A rail carload of plywood cost about $45,000 nine months ago. Today, the price exceeds $170,000, she said. Quote, this is the highest lumber prices have ever been, Flint said. We don't think we'll be seeing it come down anytime soon, end quote. Flint and Ludwig both said they expect demand for new home construction to remain strong for the remainder of 2021, mostly because interest rates remain low. 
Last week, the 30-year fixed rate average was 3.05%, according to Freddie Mac, the federally charted mortgage investor. It was the second consecutive week rates declined. Closer look, meet a leader you should know. At a glance, age 34, hometown Pigmar, Iowa, lives in Waukee. Family, husband Patrick Frund and children Sebastian Four and Grace Two. Education, received Bachelor of Arts degree in graphic design from Morris College in Dubuque in 2009. Work background, beginning February 2021, Senior Vice President, Commercial Real Estate for WB Realty Company in West Des Moines, 2011-2000. 2021, various roles with R&R real estate advisors, including marketing assistant, commercial real estate representative, and vice president. Activities, board member, commercial real estate woman, vice president, Iowa Commercial Real Estate Association, board member, Dorothy's House, likes to travel. Contact B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y at W-B-R-E-A-L-T-Y dot com. Brittany Frund, Senior Vice President, WB Realty Company by Kathy A. Bolton. Brittany Frund graduated from Loris College in 2009 with a degree in graphic design and no job prospects. At the time, Iowa's unemployment rate was 6.6% and more than 52,000 people were out of work. Quote, it was just not a good time to find a job in marketing or design, Frund said. My dream job was to design magazines. A lot of people in the field were getting laid off, and so not only could I get not get the job of my dreams, I couldn't get any job because I was competing with people who had a lot more experience than I did, end quote. Friend, who was living in Des Moines area, began working as a server at an area restaurant. After nearly 18 months of surging, she landed a job in marketing at the at a firm in Ames. The position, though, meant commuting daily from West Des Moines to Ames during a time when gas prices were $4 a gallon and higher. Friend accepted the offer of a neighborhood neighbor who worked at a staffing firm to post Friend's resume or the company's website. A couple of weeks later, a job as a marketing assistant with the R&R Realty Group appeared. Quote, my neighbor called and told me that R&R liked my resume and wanted to know if I was interested in the job, Friend said. I thought, okay, I can do that, end quote. Friend worked at R&R for more than 10 years, advancing from a marketing assistant to a vice president at the firm. Quote, when I was growing up in Prigmar, I didn't even know commercial real estate was a career option, Friend said. I didn't see any commercial development. Working at R&R really helped open my eyes to all the possibilities, end quote. In February, Friend left R&R Realty Group to become senior vice president at WB Realty Company in West Des Moines. Quote, the job offers me a little bit more flexibility, end quote. We recently caught up with Friend. Question, what do you like best about working in commercial real estate? Answer, I like that you're working on different things every day, different transactions. You're juggling a few different opportunities at a time. You're meeting new people. You're getting to network. And because of that, you get to be involved in different organizations. Question, what part of the job don't you like? Early on, you are working longer hours because you are younger and you really are trying to get your feet wet. That is kind of difficult when you have younger kids. As I've grown and gained more experience, there's been more flexibility. For years, commercial real estate was a male-dominated field. Today, there's more women in the profession. Talk a little bit about what, if any, hurdles women in the profession face. 
Oh, I think that was supposed to be a question, but it was not highlighted in bold. Answer, I feel like there are still a lot of those kinds of male friendships that are out there that can sometimes be difficult to overcome. But I also think that if you work hard, they see that now if I'm at a commercial real estate event for brokers, there's probably only going to be 10 women in the room. Because of that, I'm more memorable because I'm one out of 10. I think that's helpful. People are aware that I'm here. I'm in the industry. I show up to events. That's what I'd recommend to women who are joining the industry. Make yourself seen and known and get involved. That way, people will know that you're serious about the job. Question, what is one or two of the big things you've learned in the past nine years of being in commercial real estate? Answer, transactions take a long time. In residential, you're really running through deals pretty quickly. In commercial real estate, a deal can take two months or two years to get done. It just depends on what you're working on. You have to make sure you have patience for that. Even when you close the deal, that doesn't mean you get paid right away. Sometimes you have to wait for that too. I've also learned that there are many different facets to commercial real estate. You can be a commercial real estate attorney. You can be a commercial real estate banker. You can be a broker, a property manager. There are a lot of different people involved in one transaction. Question, what prompted you to decide to change jobs during the middle of a pandemic? Answer, Ryan Winterstein is the owner of WB Realty. He left R&R Realty Group to go out on his own and started WB Realty. He had some rental properties and was doing some things in residential real estate. He has been getting more involved with commercial development in the last few years. He approached me and said he was really busy and needed help. I thought maybe now was a good time to make a move, especially with my son going to kindergarten in the fall. Winterstein offered a bit more flexibility for things like being able to walk my son to school in the morning and pick him up after school. My goal is to have a life-work balance, not a work-life balance. I want the quote life part to be a little bit bigger. This position will help me do that. The front part of the job is a bit more of a heavy load right now. At R&R, we had 135 plus employees to help with some of those things. Right now, I'm at a smaller company where we all pitch in and do a little bit of everything. So right now, the front part of the job is a little bit heavier lifting. Down the line, it will be better. Explain what you mean by the front part of the job. Ryan's been focused on it residential and hasn't had enough time to really put into the commercial aspect. So I'm doing things like making sure all of that, all of the listing information is on every listing site and accurate to the way we want it to be seen and making sure that all of the brokerage houses are aware that we do commercial real estate, getting signed up for all of the chambers of commerce that we have developments in. So a little bit more legwork up front. Where do you see yourself in five years doing this? Because of the flexibility that the, this job provides, I can see me doing this for a long while. Maybe we would bring some additional brokers on and I can see myself mentor them. What advice do you have for young people entering the commercial real estate business? Take a chance because it's a really fun career choice. Make sure you're involved in industry organizations and also philanthropic groups. Explore different nonprofit groups to see what fits best and where your talents could help out the most. A group I'm involved with is Dorothy's House, a Des Moines nonprofit that provides a safe place for survivors of human trafficking. I think I'm lucky to be on the board and involved and can help. It means something to me. I've been involved in other nonprofits where I've done whatever they needed, but it hasn't meant as much as this does. So finding that out when you're younger and spending your time wisely so you can devote more time helping the nonprofits that you care about. 
What do you like to do in your free time? I like to travel, but COVID kind of put a damper on that last year. We traveled a lot more before the kids, but this summer we're going to take a family trip to Colorado. And now for our cover story, Caring for the Crown, Iowa stylists join National Wave Developing Standards of Care for Natural Textured Hair by Katie Hayden, cosmetologist Chanel Harris loves color. Scrolling through the Facebook page of her Urbandale salon, the color boss, viewers see short videos of deep brown hair blending into caramel highlights, magenta transitioning into bright red, or even a playful combination of bubblegum pink and peach on her client's curls. Harris is not just an expert colorist. As a hairstylist, she is a specific, special, specifically trained to cut, style, and care for natural textured hair an umbrella term to describe coily, curly, and wavy hair textures in the online beauty styling communities and cultural studies. The term natural hair and textured hair are often most synonymous with black hair. In 2007, as Harris began transitioning her own hair away from chemical relaxers and toward her natural textures, natural hair care was undergoing a sort of rebirth among emerging online beauty forums. Despite natural hairstyles experiencing rises in popularity during cultural eras of empowerment, such as the civil rights movement in the 1960s, the perception remained among mainstream culture that natural black hair is quote, unruly, end quote, she said, quote, we were always pushed to look more European. We were always straightening our hair, end quote, Harris said. The movement to celebrate natural black hair, the ban hair discrimination in the workplace, is finally receiving national policy attention. The first signed into California law in 2019, the Crown, creating a respectful and open world for natural hair, act prohibits the denial of employment and educational opportunities based on hair texture styles, including braids, locks, twists, and bantu knots. According to the Crown Coalition leading national advocacy, the Crown Act is now law in eight states, ten cities, and a handful of counties. Iowa Representative Ruth Ann Gaines introduced the Crown Act in House File 471 in early 2021, which is under review by the Judiciary Committee. After decades of stigmatization in mainstream culture, industry is following consumer demand to embrace natural hair texture. Harris began her cosmetology career in 2014 at other salons, but independently launched her brand in 2018, specializing in coloring silk presses and natural hair care quote i always tell my clients the beauty in having natural hair is that you can wear it big and bold and you can straighten it out and wear it silky straight our hair is magical we can do all kinds of things with it and quote harris said black entrepreneurs like harris are developing their businesses to address how natural hair care is taught and licensed for stylists in the u.s share the knowledge. An Ankeny cosmetologist, Tara Patterson, can see the demand to expand her salon, The Beauty Shop. Patterson employs one other cosmetologist and leases a studio chair to a local hair braider to provide a variety of hair services to the community. When Patterson opened in 2013, her salon was the only one specifically serving natural textured hair in town. That has changed now, although she still has trouble getting all her clients scheduled for services due to the amount of demand. She struggled at first owning her salon, Patterson said, 
quote, I didn't have color. I didn't have a product or anything. Pretty much my hands in my chair. I started just doing haircuts, blow dries, and styles until I had the money to buy towels, shampoo, all the things I didn't have with whatever I made that day, end quote, Patterson said. Quote, I pretty much jumped out the window and hoped I landed on my feet, and I guess I did. Thank goodness for that, end quote. Patterson's salon serves a few biracial families in trans transracial adoptive families, white parents who have adopted minority children, and has carved out a niche educating white caregivers on how to care for their children's hair. She estimates she sees 400 clients each year in Ankeny, and some of her clients travel in from Pella, Granger, and other communities. Patterson is seeking more space for her small salon to host small group classes. She envisions class sizes of 12 to 14, or about six caregivers and their children, on natural hair care techniques. Quote, I have clients coming in from pretty much everywhere to find a place where their kids can be serviced in the safety of a salon, not a home, and get some good information on how to maintain a hair texture that's completely unlike their own, end quote, Patterson said. Despite their cosmetology licenses in the state, Iowa's beauty school's curriculums did little to prepare stylists to care for natural hair, Patterson and Harris said. Both attended Iowa cosmetology schools and were licensed in the state following graduation and take continuing education classes as part of their occupational licenses, and both cosmetologists pointed to the value of the safety and sanitation training they received. Harris estimates her cosmetology school spent around six hours out of the 2100 required to graduate on black hair care techniques, mostly focused on chemical relaxing, a permanent curl straightening process that can cause burns to the clients or stylists if done incorrectly. But clients seeking out hair twists can expect to book hour and a half sessions with Harris, and clients seeking hair braiding can be at a session for up to eight hours. It's uncommon across the U.S. cosmetology school to require substantial experience working with natural hair care techniques. And Tamara Johnson Sheely, president of the Concerned Beauty and Barber Professionals, CBBP, and Politics Beauty and Barber in Tucker, Georgia, quote, this is America. When you know the racial history in this country, do white people really want to do the hair of black people? And do black people really want white people to do their hair? And quote, Johnson Sheely said, quote, there's been no push in our traditional cosmetology schools to have natural hair a part of the curriculum, end quote. Entrepreneurs are stepping in to fill that educational space themselves. In Iowa, Harris is launching personal coaching sessions for other hairstylists, focusing mainly on silk pressing and natural hair care services. Harris is working with one client stylist and this spring to develop her coaching model. She's also assisting a friend and fellow hair care educator on developing and training videos for natural hair styling techniques. Cosmetologists licensed in Iowa will still need to take continuing education credits from state licensed schools, but Harris sees her coaching sessions as an additional opportunity for other stylists to expand their services. Quote, that's where I see the biggest void. You can go learn coloring and even silk pressing anywhere, but natural hair care, there's not a lot of people that are well versed in that, end quote, she said. Developing industry safety standards. There are no clear statistics on how big the natural hair care and braiding industry is in the U.S., but roughly 430 hair braiders are now registered through the Iowa Natural Hair Braiding Registry hosted by the Iowa Department of Public Health. 
quote, I believe it's something that desperate, that's desperately needed, end quote, said Denise Jarrett, one of the founders of the Eco Hair Braiders Association in Minneapolis. The licensing requirements of hair braiders across the U.S. have been under legal scrutiny for the last two decades by courts and state legislators. A district court in Minnesota ruled in 2005 that the state's cosmetology board could not regulate or require licensing for African-style hair braiding services as long as the industry itself developed health and safety standards. Iowa regulated deregulated hair braiding entirely in 2016 following a lawsuit by two hair braiders supported by the nonprofit Institute of Justice who argued the state's cosmetology license required training unrelated to hair braiding which placed an undue burden on hair braiders trying to launch their own businesses. Johnson Sheely, the CVB president, doesn't disagree with that, but she said stylists still need access to health and safety training for the protection of their clients. Quote, there needs to be a conversation about consumer safety whenever you're providing a service. Johnson Shaley said, the Institute of Justice made it really clear that this is ancestral, cultural, and they've made it a racial and they've made it racial. To me, health and safety is colorblind. There is no racial component in keeping people safe, end quote. There are private programs in the U.S. that now provide health and safety curriculums to hair braiders and other natural hair stylists who don't require occupational license from state boards. EcoHair, which formed during the civil case against Minnesota's Cosmetology Board, is one of them. The organization provides a free program to teach health and safety standard practices and privately licensed hair braiders. According to Jarrett, 500 hair braiders nationally have been licensed and certified through EcoHair's safety standards curriculum. The tools used in braiding can lead to a potential legal minefield for stylists, Jarrett said. Braiders who are not licensed cosmetologists are not allowed to offer shampoo services. Some stylists secure hair using suture needles, which are federally regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. They present a risk of transmitting blood-borne pathogens between the client and stylist if a scalp or finger is pricked in the process. EcoHair teaches braiders how to use protective equipment and manage other potential health risks from tools, including lighters and boiling water. When the COVID-19 pandemic spread in the U.S., EcoHair developed and dis- disseminated new safety standards for its members. As states appear poised to continue deregulating occupational licensing requirements for natural hairstylists, both Jarrett's and Johnson Sheely's organizations are stepping up health and safety training outreach to unlicensed stylists nationwide. The challenge is finding those stylists across a patchwork of state registration laws, Jarrett said. She is advocating for a national occupational registry for natural hair care providers, which could include not only hair braiders and natural hair stylists, but other non-cosmetology beauty service providers, including makeup artists and the blowout bars popular among women with straight hair. A registry at the federal level would standardize up to 30 hours of basic health, safety, and sanitation training for all service providers with the benefit of connecting those entrepreneurs to other business startup resources. Quote, that would assist these women with actually opening up and becoming the entities or individuals that offer these services. And quote, Jarrett said, quote, let people use their own creative mind and styling and lower the barrier to just health, safety, and sanitation with the tools they are provided, end quote. 
Business Record Women of Influence now accepting nominations. Nominations due May 7th, 2021. For over 22 years, the business record has recognized women who have made outstanding contributions to the community in a variety of areas with the Women of Influence Awards. Awards will be presented at a reception on Thursday, August 5th. To be considered, please submit a resume and cover letter specifically addressing accomplishments that meet the judging criteria. Letters of recommendation will not require are also encouraged. The Women of Influence Awards celebrate the work of women who have made a difference. They have devoted their lives to doing things most wouldn't. They have spent countless hours on various boards and they are role models with impeccable ethics. They have blazed a trail either personally or professionally for other women to follow. Judging criteria, success in their chosen field, lasting impact on the community, involving with involvement with civic and nonprofit organizations, role model for other women through their achievements and ethical standards. Submit online businessrecord.com forward slash WOI. Contact phone 515-288-3338 extension 209. Email Jason W-A-N-S-O-N at B-P-C-D-M.com. Our next article, commercial construction costs rise 12.8% in a year. Some projects in jeopardy of being put on hold, one contractor says by Kathy A. Bolton. A December, in December, developer Joe Cardero received bids totaling $6.95 million for an apartment and commercial project planned on 8th Street in West Des Moines. Three months later, the project was rebid. The cost $7.72 million, an 11% increase from the first bid. Quote, the cost changes were insane, end quote, said Cordaro, principal of West Des Moines-based Benchmark Real Estate Group. Quote, if developers can't absorb the cost, we have to go back and re-engineer the plan to cut that cost out, end quote. The huge spikes in material costs for residential and commercial projects are affecting all sectors of the nation's construction industry. Between April 2020 and February 2021, construction costs for non-residential projects have increased 12.8%, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The National Association of Home Builders reports that in the past year, the cost of a typical single family house has jumped more than $24,000. The increased costs are not limited to just one type of construction product. The whole gamut is affected. In late March, the price of lumber per thousand board feet was $1,032, a 171% increase since March 2020, according to Random Lengths, which provides market reporting on the wood products industry. Before the pandemic, the price was $381. The price of Structural steel tube was $3,800 a ton in March, double its price in January, according to Casey Port, a vice president in construction for Hubble Realty Company. In addition, prices for polyvinyl chloride, PVC used in pipes, water mains, vinyl windows, and other materials with plastic in them have jumped 270% in the past year. Dry roll costs are up 20%, insulation costs are up 10% to 20%, and rebar costs are up 30%. Quote, everything is at an absolute all-time, all-time high, end quote, Port said. 
quote, if you just look at lumber, prices have fluctuated over the past five to 10 years. It's a commodity. It's expected. Prices now are off the charts, end quote. Numerous things have caused the increased prices in materials. Port and others said a sampling includes the pandemic, which prompted lumber mills and manufacturing plants to either shut down or reduce production to provide employees safe working conditions and to prepare for an anticipated declines in product demand. Instead, demand for the products, particularly lumber, increased and mills and plants have been unable to keep pace. Weather events like the August Jarejo in the Midwest and the crippling February freeze in Texas and other southern states shut down that the plants that produce the chemicals used in plastic products. Some of the plants are not yet operating at their pre-storm levels. Increased demand for materials to build new houses as well as distribution and data centers for companies. Amazon and its competitors have stepped up construction of warehouses and distribution centers to meet the e-commerce spike. The increase in construction has gobbled up materials, pushing up prices because of the demand. Transportation slowdowns, both in shipping and trucking. It is taking longer to get supplies from countries in Asia and elsewhere, and the recent six-day blockage of the Suez Canal caused even more shipping delays. The U.S. trucking industry is experiencing a driver shortage causing a delay in deliveries. Quote, it's a little bit of a perfect storm, Port said. It makes projects a little more difficult to launch, end quote. Some suppliers have begun putting limits on the amount of material contractors and others can purchase at a time. Orders that previously took a couple of weeks to fill now take a month to three or four more months to fill, suppliers have told their customers. The delays in getting materials and the increased costs have caused some developers to pause or shelve projects. Quote, some of our clients don't have a choice but to move forward with their projects, end quote, said Mike Tulsi, executive vice president and general manager of White's company, a Des Moines-based general contractor. Quote, I think some projects, though, are in jeopardy of being put on hold for some period of time until this volatile validity settles and or prices come back down, end quote. Impact on local companies. Mark Cook, owner of West Des Moines-based Cook Plumbing Corp., has been in the plumbing business for over 40 years. His company has weathered numerous economic expansions and recessions. However, the sharp upward spikes in prices coupled with limits on the amount of products that can be purchased at a time is a new experience, he said. Quote, this is the highest increase in material costs I've, I've seen ever, end quote, Cook said. Quote, we don't want to, but we have to raise our prices to reflect the price increases we're experiencing, end quote. Over the years, Cook Plumbing has bought its supplies in bulk and has gotten price breaks for the large push purchases. That's currently not possible with many items, said Scott Smith, Cook Plumbing's general manager. Frequently now, price breaks aren't offered on materials bought in bulk. Limits have been placed on how much can be purchased of some items, he said. Quote, supply houses could buy as much as they wanted, and now they're on allocation of 60% of what they bought last year, Smith said. We used to buy a truckload of pipe at a time, and now we can't do that anymore, end quote. In addition, there are delays in getting supplies or equipment. It now it takes up to 15 weeks to get water heaters and up to three months for some plumbing fixtures 
fixtures, he said. Previously, the company placed orders a week or two before items were needed. Now, orders are being placed at the start of projects, he said. At times when orders are delayed, substitute fixtures are temporarily used, Smith said. Quote, we've had some homeowners say to finish up just one of their bathrooms and they'll wait to get the other finished when the rest of the parts come in, end quote. The soaring cost of materials is prompting officials at come-and-go convenience stores to review plans for new stores before moving forward. The Des Moines-based retailer plans to build 40 to 50 new stores in the Midwest over the next two years. However, the cost to build is now 5% to 15% higher than originally estimated. Quote, it's not stopped us from building, but it's certainly making us pause and rethink things and maybe reevaluate if there are ways we can trim costs on the project, end quote, said Scott McGee at Come and Go's Director of Site Development and Construction. For example, Come and Go often puts in more parking spaces than are required by local ordinances. In an effort to cut costs, the retailer may put in just the minimum spaces required, McGee said. Come and Go is also attempting to order materials needed for new stores long before construction begins. Quote, you see a number of builders like ourselves are trying to get supplies for projects to get us through the end of the year, McGee said. That's also contributing to the shortages and higher costs, end quote. Low interest rates are fueling demand for new houses. In the first three months of 2021, 1,023 residential building permits were issued in 13 Des Moines area communities in Polk County. A review of city records shows one-third of the permits were issued in March. Some city officials have said the first quarter of 2021 has been one of the busiest on record. As long as interest rates remain at or near historic lows, home builders don't see demand for new houses subsiding in 2021, even though costs for these structures are climbing. Quote, we can't get houses in the ground fast enough, end quote, said Jenna Kimberly, vice president of Ankeny-based Kimberly Development. The low interest rates, coupled with the low inventory of existing houses for sale, has consumers turning to newly constructed houses, she said. The conditions are not unique to central Iowa. It's occurring nationwide. In March, 1.73 million new residential building permits were issued, up 30% over March. 2020, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. As with commercial construction, the demand for new houses has fueled price hikes in lumber and other housing materials. The increased costs have caused the prices of new houses to also jump. Quote, a house we built in 2019 and are building today with the same square footage and same specs cost $50,000 more, end quote, Kimberly said. Suppliers are only looking in price, locking in prices for 15 days, which means home buyers have to quickly make decisions on whether to purchase a new home, she said. How long will price spikes last? Cordaro Cordaro, the West Des Moines developer, and others expect the cost of materials to continue to rise through much of 2021. Quote, I think we'll see some relief at the end of the year, but I don't think we'll go back to what they were in March 2020, and quote, Corardo said. Quote, there's very little economic incentive to flood supply to bring the price down, at least that to the point that it was at, end quote. Hubble's report said he's talked recently with several national suppliers, as well as those locally, who also believe material costs will remain high throughout much of 2021. That likely means that some developers may put projects on hold until 2022 or shelve the projects indefinitely, he said. Towsley of Whites agrees. 
quote, were involved in some multifamily developments, and I'm concerned that some of those owners are not going to be able to move forward with the projects because they can't make the financials work, end quote. He said, quote, I think we're going to start seeing some projects get back burned until some of that price correction can occur, end quote. LGBTQ Legacy Leader Awards call for nominations, DSM. Over the years, LGBTQ Iowans have had a strong and welcome influence on our state, representing a wide range of vocations and advocations. They have led with creativity, vigor, and compassion, solving problems, and helping build a state that we can all be proud to call home. In tribute to such inspiring contributions, DSM Magazine is working with One Iowa to present the third annual LGBTQ Legacy Leader Awards. We also will recognize in any ally of the LGBTQ community someone whose contributions to equity have helped ensure that gender and sexual orientation must not be stigmatized or marginalized. Six honorees will be recognized for the lifetime achievement at a virtual event in October 2021. Event details will be announcing in the spring. We welcome your help in choosing those to be honored. Nominees for the five LGBTQ Legacy Leader Awards should meet these criteria, demonstrate a record of public leadership in professional, civic, or political roles in addition to their dedication to the LGBTQ causes, serve as role models and mentors to others over the years, contribute to the appreciation and recognition of cultural diversity in Iowa. Additionally, one nominee from outside the LGBTQ category will be honored with an Ally Award for unwavering commitment to equity for all, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation. Business Record Power Breakfast Series, COVID-19, COVID Reset, Nine Ways to Make Community Progress, Thursday, May 13th, 8 to 9.30 a.m., virtual event. Now officially one year past at the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've asked nine leaders to share thoughts on what it will take to reset our economy and work toward community progress together. Governor Kim Reynolds will also share special pre-recorded remarks with the audience. The discussion will focus on the recovery work that's ahead in regard to infrastructure sustainability, community development, downtown public health, and more. Among the questions we plan to tackle, no one wanted to deal with a pandemic, but what opportunities has it opened for greater Des Moines? The pandemic has amplified the need to address inequality. How are we going to move the needle as a region? We can. Ex- what can we expect as the economy continues to recover? How can business leaders be part of the solution? Panelists with special pre-recorded remarks from Governor Kim Reynolds, Megan Milligan, President and CEO, Iowa Center for Economic Success, Joseph Jones, Executive Director, Harkin Institute, Almardi Abdallah, Director of Adult and Family Programs, Oak Ridge Neighborhood Services, Brian Waller, President, Technology Association of Iowa, Tiffany Toshek, Chief Operations Officer, Greater Des Moines Partnership, Christy Konas, President, Community Foundation of Greater Des Moines, Chris Kramer, Director of Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs, Blanca Placinia, Owner El Fogon, Tim Yagi, President and CEO of Pelicorp. 
the Elbert Files, Dave Elbert, business record columnist, email daveelbert at bpcdm.com, phone number is 515-988-3787, unexpected benefits. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed lives in ways we will never fully understand, but which have already created new paths to the future. It's natural to view many changes in negative terms. We can't go out with friends for drinks the way we once did. We've missed life-altering events, weddings, births, and deaths of those closest to us, and parents are forced into double duty as teachers for homebound children. Each missed opportunity changes us. It's easy to be depressed, although it doesn't all have to be that way. Perception is everything. Keeping a positive focus is a, is good advice, but that is easier said than done in uncertain times. Taking a longer view may help keep things in perspective, so let's take a look at what's happening and why some of it may be good. The distance learning that has been forced upon many families during the past year is one example. Schools have struggled to make it work, some with more success than others, but that's always the case when something new is tried. We have to be patient and work out the kinks. When the pandemic began, there were no shortage of stories about how closing school buildings would court disaster. Children would not have the discipline to learn from home and few parents would have the time, energy, or knowledge to make it work or so we were told. Iowa's governor and the state educational structure were particularly pessimistic and still are. Rather than encouraging experimentation, they threatened to pull educational licenses from school districts and teachers who did not confirm conform to their narrow approach of keeping schools open despite legitimate health concerns. In the prog- process, they generated more fear and concern than was warranted, but now one year into this unusual experiment, we are beginning to hear success stories about students and families who embraced new models of distance learning. Particularly noteworthy are children who had previously been bullied and discouraged from learning. Without distractions, some of those children are flourishing for the first time, as are others. I expect we eventually find more benefits than downsides from the past year's experiments with distance learning. It's true, not all children immediately adapt to computer learning, but it appears enough have to make some forms of remote learning a viable option going forward, just as homeschooling was for some children and a generation ago. If nothing else, we've learned that there is nothing magic about a nine-month school year or a six-hour teaching day. Another benefit is growing recognition of the importance of broadband access for rural Iowa. Rural Iowans hope for joining the digital economy reach back to the late 1980s when visionaries believed they could achieve transformative change by installing a statewide fiber optic network. Most of the required trunk line was created by the network, was never built out, and most rural communities remained in the dark. Now, because of the pandemic, there is new urgency and hopefully money to complete the effort because it is increasingly clear the benefits will be substantial. Telemedicine, like distance learning, has been slow to develop, but the pandemic lockdown has done wonders to improve technology and techniques in the past year. Quote, visiting and quote, the doctor will never be the same again, nor will quote, going to the movies or reading and quote, a newspaper or magazine now that we've become accustomed to viewing news releases on Netflix, HBO, or other small screen channels and to receive our daily news from podcasts and other digital sources. Transportation is another industry that's in those of revolution with electric vehicles and high-speed trains at the verge of competing with gasoline power 
powered cars and jet airplanes. It may be difficult to see today, but I believe historians 50 years from now what will look back on pandemic-inspired changes in robotics, communication, healthcare, and many other areas and marvel at our inventivenesses. Marketing, Drew McClellan, top dog at McClellan Marketing Group, blog at www.drewsmarketingminute.com, email drew at mclellanmarketing.com. It all matters. This column is the third installment as we explore the seven principles that I've identified as a vital to Walt Disney's success as he built one of the world's most iconic and profitable brands. Here are the seven beliefs, habits that I believe led to Disney's success. Your vision must be so clear and so well articulated that someone else can complete it perfectly, even if you're not there anymore. No detail is too small, and in fact, the smallest details have the biggest impact. Obstacles are roadmaps to innovation. If the team is happy, the customer is happy. Ask the best questions because you have to keep learning. You're never done. Never forget who you serve and why you matter to them. For this week's column, I want to focus on the concept that the devil is in the details. As Walt was creating Disneyland, he drove his team nuts, making them scrap projects near completion and putting the project behind schedule because he felt vital details were missing. He had the unique ability to push aside his insider's knowledge and truly see the park's elements as a first-time visitor would see them. Even today, almost 70 years after Disneyland opened, some of those details Walt insisted are on are among the most talked about features in the park. Perhaps the most famous is a tiny detail in the Pirates of Caribbean attraction. As you ride through the attraction in a small boat, at one point you go under a bridge. Sitting on the bridge with his legs dangling down is an animatronic pirate. The first time Walt rode the attraction to give his blessing, he looked up as the boat went under the bridge and saw for him a glaring omission. Next time you ride Pirates of the Caribbean and notice the leg hair on the pirate sitting on the bridge, think of Walt. The ability to see your facility, product, or service through the eyes of your consumer is marketing gold. That's when you can spot the missing details or that some Thing is a little off. We get most of the big things right, but we miss the opportunity to plus up the experience. It's their surprising touches that we add to our core offering that make a customer stop and take notice. We don't need to do the details, but we do it anyway because we care that much. It makes our customers feel like we've gone out of our way just to delight them. It's in the handwritten thank you notes that you pack when you ship your product. It's the decadent chocolate placed on a pillow. It's picking up the phone on a weekend when a client is in crisis. I love Walt's attention to detail because with every nuance he and the Disney team at painstakingly put into place, it reminds us that they were thinking about us and what would make the experience magical. It also makes it talk-worthy. When we write a review or make recommendations to a peer, we talk about those little extras that made the experience special. If you want to learn more about this marketing insight and how to create those magical extras, check out the book, quote, Talk Triggers, end quote, by Jay Bauer and Daniel Lemon. They observed in many other organizations that Walt knew instinctively. The details matter, and they reassure your customer that you're willing to go above and beyond to demonstrate how important they are to you. How do you apply this to your business? If you don't have Walt's gift to unknown what you know and see with fresh eyes, consider using secret shoppers to help you identify where you can add the minute details that will get your customer talking.
increased demand for appliances, the nationwide flurry of residential construction from single-family houses and townhomes to apartment buildings and senior living facilities has sparked an increase in demand for refrigerators, stoves, microwaves, and dishwashers. That demand has made obtaining the appliances in a timely manner difficult. Typically, large companies like Hubble Realty Company get their appliances directly from a manufacturer, but even that has been slow going, said Casey Port, Hubble's vice president of construction. Quote, we're scrambling to get appliances for our apartments and senior living facilities. We're going to the big box stores to get them and paying premium prices, end quote. Manufacturers of appliances have stepped up production to meet the record demand. Quote, we are manufacturing appliances around the clock at all nine of our U.S. manufacturing plants, end quote. Julie Wood, Senior Director of Corporate Communication for GE Appliances, told the business record, Quote, we are at our highest output in the history of our plans, and we continue to grow our capacity since the pandemic began. We've added an assembly line, extra shifts in multiple plans, and increasing output of current assembly lines. And that came from Kathy A. Bolton. And that does it for today's reading of the business record for the week of Friday, April 23rd on Iris. I'm your reader, Erin. You can access today's reading online at iowaradioreading.org. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day.